Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, October 7th. Love all men, if not for themselves, many human traits, after all, are in themselves not lovable, then for the pure joy of giving love. Everyone is seeking, whether blindly or with clear sight, final fulfillment in God. You know, it's, it, he raises a very interesting question here. I'm going to just, let me back up one step further. I've been studying these teachings, studying, living. Studying doesn't even begin to express it. These, the teachings and the practices of self-realization have defined my life for 50 years, from the age of 18. From the age of 24, I've really, everything about my life has been one consistent picture from which I have never strayed. Um, have I done it? always really well, that's a wholly different question, but have I been committed to striving to do it well? I've never strayed from that, and Swami has been the pole star right through. But it's fascinating to me how, how, how gradual the process is of actually learning what the words mean. So I, I keep seeing things and hearing things that I've been hearing for a very long time, and then suddenly I'm understanding it. The day before this one, for those of you who are watching this consistently, was about non-attachment to things. And I talked about an experience that I had within the last six months. I mean, I'm talking 50 years. And, now I'm, and, and the only thing I could think of to really illustrate non-attachment to things happened to me in the last six months. Um, and it's not that I haven't been striving or really working, but I finally had an experience which caused the words to mean something. So it's been similar with this statement of Swamiji's, which he's been telling us to love everyone because we're all children of God. And he's been suggesting to us that it would be to our benefit to base our affection for people on the fact that everyone is seeking bliss. Now, that sounds good to me. But it's only been very, very recently that I actually have understood what he meant. You know, the, the process of learning these teachings is kind of amusing. When I was in my 20s, and uh, how do you want to say it? I was, uh, I thought I was a lot smarter than I think I am now. <laughs> if that, did you follow that? And I never hesitated to express myself because I had a great deal of irrational confidence in my wrong thinking. Um, Swamiji used to use the word impersonal when he was talking about um, the ideal kind of the way to love should be impersonal. And he would even use that when he would be talking about marriage and romantic relationships. And I suggested to him that it wasn't a very good word to use because nobody had any idea what it meant and it sounded really unattractive. I mean, just, <laughs> I would make those statements. And Swami, because he was so kind to me, would work with me rather than um, squelching my energy. He saw that if he, 
if he continued to work with this automobile out of control, eventually it would gain, you know, some self-mastery, which, by the grace of God, it has gained a little. But uh, because I, you know, I was personal in the way I felt about people and things, and I just couldn't understand what impersonal meant. What impersonal actually means is not that you're impersonal toward others, but you're impersonal toward yourself, which is you're not in it for yourself. I'm impersonal about my own needs. If they're appropriate, if they're righteous, if the world is going to support them, by all means, you know, why not? But I'm not going to assert my personal rights and needs above the welfare of someone else. That's what he means by being impersonal. And it's great. It doesn't mean being cold. It doesn't mean being distant. It doesn't mean that every unit is interchangeable and that I have no unique karmic ties with anyone. It doesn't mean any of the things I thought it meant. And I remember on that particular end, Swami just listened to me very respectfully, made very little response, and then totally ignored me. And I noticed that he ignored me, so... I filed that away as something to learn about, which over the course of years, I gradually became more impersonal and I began to understand. I became less committed to myself and I began to understand what he means. So it's the same with this business of loving people because everyone is seeking the same thing. And it it comes this way, which is that um, we... Uh, we, you, you know, what is it that attracts us to people? You see something in someone that, that resonates with you. You know, somebody is handsome, somebody is pretty, somebody has a beautiful singing voice, somebody expresses great kindness, someone shows, is very articulate and you like that, someone has, a, you know, a, a strong, silent strength that, you find very comforting. Um, somebody is helpless and you want to help them. There's a, someone remarked about uh, a particular uh, person, acquaintance, our mutual acquaintance, who had a knack for, f- for bad relationships. And uh, the friend said about our mutual friend that she goes into a room and she finds the darkest object she can find and then commits herself to trying to uplift it. <laughs> Which is a, a charitable idea, but it, it, it's an unfortunate lifestyle. It tends not to bring what you hope it'll bring. So we always were attracted to something. But, but when you see something, what I was going to, when you see something in someone that lifts your spirit in one way or another, whether it's the desire to rescue or whatever it is, then you, you're drawn to it, you're magnetized to it. And the, the mysteries of the human heart uh, are not easily fathomed. Swami himself has, has always had a very charitable attitude toward, toward human affection. It's, it's just the way it is. We have karmas that we don't know. We don't know who among the many hundreds of people that we'll meet in a lifetime are uh, what, what we've, who we've been to each other, what we owe each other. You know, we, we have debts. Somebody saves your life on the battlefield, you owe them something. And so you might might feel this um, otherwise unreasonable inclination to be generous or to be supportive of someone. There's people in my life I know that the relationships are complex and they have their origin 
in, in lives that we no longer remember, but we still feel in ourselves. But the end point of that is, oh, and it was starting to say, Swami has always been very understanding. The way he put it is, you can't always control the feelings of the heart. They have a life of their own. You can't say, this is what I must feel because I want to or I don't want to. We, we just do. Um, I, but I often make a distinction, and this is a way to think about it, especially when we're talking about romantic relationships that sometimes get very confusing. You can have karma with someone, and karma means that there's cause and effect energy from the past. Um, but you may not have dharma with that person. And dharma means those actions which will lead to expanded consciousness. So you can have very strong feelings that are very real, that have a basis in actual experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it should lead to any particular result in this lifetime, because you have to weigh that karma against dharma. But what we really want is we want to have a spontaneous um, affection, love, willingness to help, um, desire to serve to every sentient creature. We want to feel that way, as Swami says, for the sheer joy of loving. When I was a young devotee, I had two female friends in my life who were very close to me, and we operated, we were often all together, the three of us were together, often with Swamiji. And one of them was one of those spontaneous, harmonious, you know, life companion feelings. This woman is my sister and she's been my sister forever and will always be my sister. This one was also my sister and would be my sister forever, but we didn't like each other very much and we didn't get along at all. It was a, it was a paradoxical sort of thing because we were deeply committed and loved each other, but we didn't like each other at all. And you know, love that is too attached, that sets up expectations, that becomes disappointed, turns thwarted desire, turns to anger, anger turns to hatred, hatred turns to action, action turns to revenge. So that's what I was caught in with this person. It was very complicated because I couldn't get away from her and I couldn't master my feelings either. So my only excuse for what I'm about to say is that I was very young on the spiritual path. So I had the idea that even-minded and cheerful was the way we were supposed to be. But I was anything but even-minded. It was tremendous extreme here. So I came up with this incredibly, you know, mental solution, which was my great nemesis. This is what I, I have a big brain. And what I've had to do is not shrink the brain, but I've had to bring the rest of it, you know, sort of into balance. So the brain will work a little better. Otherwise, it's like this crazy horse that's you know, tied to the cart and keeps wrecking the cart because it keeps forgetting that it's part of a team. So this was this mental cycle. So I said, Swami, so I see, I see the problem. You know, he was watching this all. The problem, you see, is that I, I, I dislike this one so much and I like this one so much. And what I need to do is I need to even it out. So I should like this one less and then there won't be so much of a contrast. Swami used this phrase with me, I think this was actually, may have been the only time, but there might have been a second when he said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> I love it. I can still hear him. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. He said, and then he spoke of this unique friendship that I had, the positive one. He said, God gives us those experiences to show us what is possible. 
He said, you, that, that you should not diminish. He said, what you need to do is you need to bring everything up to here, up to it. But you see, the problem was there was an element of the personal here. And the personal meaning, I like you because. I like you because of this that you do and that that you do and you're handsome in this way and you're nice in that way and so on like this. It wasn't a spontaneous outpouring of affection just because we're all children of God and we're all seeking the same thing. Just think how our heart goes out to people in so much affection when we see how sincere they are. The wonderful thing about Ananda that I've enjoyed through the years is is that ability to create, I'll call them impersonal friendships, meaning friendships based on the fact that we have a shared dedication to God. And so often the friendships, the personality side of the friendships can be very extreme because it's not based on ego affinity. And in the early years of Ananda, when we were all living at Ananda Village and very few of us had cars, and every so often, for one reason or another, we'd have to come to the Bay Area, which was a four-hour four ride, which is where I live now. And so you would pile into a car with one or two other people, or sometimes just with one other person. And then you would have this four-hour time when you could just talk to each other. And, uh, you know, we didn't have, well, we didn't even want to listen to radio or anything like that. Invariably, you would, you would discover that you just loved each other. <laughs> And I don't mean in a personal way. It was just like, as soon as someone was able to show you their love for God and their deep aspiration, it was, just, it was effortless to love them. Of course you loved them. They were just such a beautiful and admirable person, even though if in other ways they weren't. And, and that was something, that was the gift of spiritual family. So what Swami's trying to tell us is, if it can ever be done... It can always be done. And it can always be done because underneath everything, even all those very unlovable qualities, everybody vibrates with the same relationship to God. And no matter how buried it may be under layers and layers of ignorant, even evil action, underneath it, that jiva, just like you, is, is deeply longing for oneness with God. And great saints, that's just what they see. It's, and it's not that they can't discriminate. It's not that they can't see what a mess we are on the surface. Or even they're not afraid to, to say, you know, this person is evil in their behavior. In their behavior. But we're all equal before God. And the more we train ourselves to relate impersonally to that shared divinity, the more the heart just automatically, continuously, spontaneously, just opens up in compassion and love. Uh, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Elizabeth, two deeply devoted Christians living in um, Holland, at the time that the Nazis took over Holland, risked their lives and that of their elderly father to hide Jews and save them from execution. And eventually they were betrayed and put into a concentration camp. The father died, Betsy died, only Corey lived through it. And just at the end of Betsy's life, she started having many beautiful visions of the life that Corey would live afterwards because Betsy knew she wouldn't live through it. And among the visions she had was the great work 
Corey would do healing, not just the Jews who were the victims, but the guards who had perpetrated it. Because Betsy looked at these evil people, or these people doing great evil things, and what she saw was the heart of, in her case, the heart of Christ inside of each one, longing for divine love. And she just looked past all the rest of it. And that's just what she saw. And for Corey, it was a little more than she could do. But in the end, meaning after it was all over, with, with the grace of Betsy, who as an angel from heaven was helping her, and the love of Christ, she was able to do it. Now, as Swami says, we do it for the sheer love of doing it. Is it easy? No, of course not. No one said it was easy. Is it worth doing? Nothing else is worthwhile. As Swami says, Love all men, if not for themselves. Many human traits, after all, are in themselves not lovable. Then for the pure joy of giving love, everyone is seeking, whether blindly or with clear sight, final fulfillment in God. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.